Um, This morning, our sermon text is from Isaiah chapter 41, and I want to give you all a warning, because I I wish I had said this before the, the sermon started in the first service, but I'll say it now. At some point in this service, I'm going to sing. I am sorry for that. You've heard worse things, I hope, but I will do my best. Secondly, at the end of this sermon, I'm going to ask for you to recite something that I hope you will have learned by heart by the end of the sermon. And that is Isaiah 41, verse 10. Isaiah 41, verse 10. And if I, if I could title this sermon, I would title it, Fear Not. Fear Not. One of the greatest promises in all of the Bible is Isaiah 41.10. And God says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so if you take notes in your Bible, then this this morning, let me encourage you to go ahead and underline all of verse 10. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Just underline that in your Bible. If you don't memorize it while we're still in here today, when you get home today, memorize it. Write it down. Put it on your bedside table so it's the first thing you see in the morning when you wake up and the last thing that you see at night. If it's been a long day at work and it's still only 10 a.m., then say it to yourself. If you're about to take a, a test at school that you've been studying and stressing for for days, remember it. If you have a loved one, that has received a a terrible diagnosis, a child that is facing cancer again. Say it to them. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So we're we're not going to We're not just looking at verse 10 this morning because it's important for us to understand why God is saying this and to whom God is saying it. So therefore, our our sermon text is going to be verses 1 through 10 with the focus coming at the end right on verse 10. So we'll start this morning by looking at verses 1 through 7. So Isaiah 41, 1 through 7. And God says, listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him, so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, It is good, and they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. 
So the first thing that we see this morning in verses 1 through 7 is the nation's fear. The nation's fear. This prophecy is is God's message to the, the foreign nations, to the coastlands, or the NIV says the islands, and to Israel. God is calling all of these nations and these people to come together and to reason because apparently there is a mighty force rising up in the east, a great king who is rising up in the east, and everywhere that he goes, destruction follows. And so he's calling all of these these coastlands and these islands to come together so that they can reason to one another and, and renew their strength because these coastlands and these islands are, are on the edge of the map. They're at the ends of the known world. So they have not yet been reached by this king, but they, they look and they see and they know that he is coming. So notice the very first thing that God says to these distant nations. He says, listen to me in silence. This, this feels like trying to have a conversation with a, a toddler. If you, have a, if you have a three-year-old at home, lucky for me, I'm, I'm good for me. I'm, I guess I'm lucky enough to have my own James at home. And when you try to talk to a toddler, sometimes it's like trying to talk with a wall, right? If I, if I have to tell James something important, typically he's, you know, he's not paying attention in the least. And so I have to snap to get his attention, And I have to make eye contact with him. And I have to say, James, listen to me. Stop talking for just a second and listen. Right now, he's not even looking, not even even a little bit of eye contact. That's what I'm talking about. God says to the nations, listen to me. What I'm trying to tell you is important. What I'm trying to tell you could mean your salvation from this mighty foe. You need to hear it. Stop talking, stop being distracted, look at me and listen. But just like a toddler, the nations remain distracted. And what distracts them from God's invitation? As I said already, there there seems to be a great king, a mighty nation that is rising up from the east that seems unstoppable, whom victory meets at every step. This This one king is conquering kingdom after kingdom, apparently with great ease, and other kings that that try to stand in his way are just getting trampled over, and they're being turned to dust and being turned to stubble as if they were never even there. And even the kings that try to run away and hide, he's pursuing them, and he, he destroys them, and he passes by safely. And it even says by paths that his feet have not trod. So this is not on his own turf. This is not the nations just surrounding his own. This is distant countries that he is sending his unstoppable, unmatchable army to destroy. Places he's never even seen before. And so the nations see what's going on. They recognize that a a mighty force is coming for them, and they're next. And God raises a very simple question. Who stirred up one from the east? 
Who is stirring him up? Who is giving up nations before him? Who is making them like dust and like stubble? Who has performed and done this? Not only now, but throughout all of human, human history from the very first generation until the last, God boldly proclaims, it was he. He says, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. A few chapters after this in Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10, God says, remember this and stand firm, recall it to mind, you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times, things not yet seen, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. And then looking even further ahead at at Daniel 2.21, he says he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. There's a reason in verses 2 through 4 that a king is not named. Isaiah could have been alluding uh, to, the, to the Persian king Cyrus, an, an ancestor of Ahas, uh, I can't say it, Ahasaru. Esther's king, if you've been following along with Pastor Jacob. He could have been alluding to uh, the Assyrian king, Sennacherib, who conquers Judah in 701 B.C. But instead of naming this great king that all of the nations fear, God leaves him nameless for this reason, to show that it doesn't matter who that king is. Even if he should fall, another would rise and take his place. The point of the matter is that God is the one stirring him up. God is the one giving him victory. God is the one giving him kingdom after kingdom and leaving his enemies as dust and stubble. God is the one doing all of this. God is the one who is sovereign over the affairs of all human history. And so then we see the nation's response. The nations respond by rather than, rather than listening to God and, and turning to him for strength, they see the mighty works of this king and they, they, they know that they cannot hold this mighty foe off and they, they realize that if something doesn't happen, if something doesn't change their current situation, that they are next. Their doom is sure and so they respond in fear. The coastlands have seen, verse 5, the coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They know that this, they know what this king is capable of. And so they are terrified. And they do two things. First, they, they band together. In verse 5 again, they have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong and so they, they come together and they, they try to strengthen one another because after all, there is, there is strength in numbers. So they think if they, if they all come together and they, they work together that they could take on this mighty foe. And then the second thing they do is that they, they turn to their own gods and to idols. He says the, the craftsman strengthens the goldsmith and he who smooths with the hammer, who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. So they're building idols to protect themselves, using their best 
craftsmen, their best goldsmith. They build wonderfully beautiful and ornate idols, and they sell it to people so that they can set it up on the shelves in their home and worship it, hoping that it will protect them from this mighty king who is coming their way. And really, they're just worshiping a fancy hunk of metal that they have to use nails to anchor down so that it can't be moved or fall over. Do you you see the irony there? The irony is that they make an idol to stand against a mighty king, but the idol itself can't even stand up on its own. What we need to realize is that this is still very much the world that we live in today. We may not be looking at an enemy or or foreign nation that has come to to knock knock on and destroy our homeland, but there still is very much destruction all around us, whether it's a, a pandemic or whether it's social and political unrest, whether it's shootings or, or, or whether it's genocide happening in, in foreign nations. We live in a broken world. I don't, think I, have to, I, don't, I don't think I have to convince you of that. We live in a broken world that is full of destruction. And how do people respond with everything going on in the world today? In fear, still. If you want to see fear, just turn on the news. If you want to see fear, just check your your Facebook timeline or check your Twitter feed. People still live in constant fear of an enemy that constantly seems like is knocking on their door, ready to destroy them. The world responds in fear still. But at least the nations in Isaiah's day were able to band together. Today, everyone is yelling fire and ready to tear one another apart for it. The only thing, well, the the main thing, rather, that remains the same are the idols. Then they made their idols out of gold and they set them up on shelves so that they could worship them and, and forget about the certain doom that was headed their way. Today... We make our idols out of, out of sports, out of video games, out of social media or politics. We say that if my candidate wins, then all is well, but if my candidate loses, then we're all doomed for sure. Or husbands, when, you, when, when men come home from work, it's been a long day and a, a hard week and their kids are running through their house and their wife needs help. Rather than helping her and, and watching the kids, he he scuttles down to his man cave and he plops down in his lazy boy and he, he cracks open a cold one just to make himself feel better. Or teenagers who, who have constant pressure from their parents to succeed or from their friends to fit in or from themselves just to live up to everyone's expectations, spend hours a day looking at their phone and on social media to distract themselves from the world and the pressure going on around them. We make idols ourselves still all day, every day. Everyone makes their own idols. We turn to idols and worship gods made by our own hands instead of turning and worshiping the God that made us. John Calvin said in his um, famous work, The Institutes of Christian Religion, 
Man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. So the nations fear, and they respond by banding together and and by, by building idols to protect themselves, and they refuse, and they do not listen to God and turn to him for strength. So the nations fear, but our second point in verses 8 through 10, God's people are secure. God's people are secure. This is what God says, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So God now turns his attention to the Israelites, and while the nations fear and and turn to one another and to their idols made by their own hands, God's people are secure. And God says to his people, but you, Israel, fear not. Fear not. So first God reminds his people who they are. You, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, these these names and these titles would have meant something to the Israelites. They reminded them of God's love and promises that he made to them through his covenant. In Genesis 12, God says to Abram, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And then later to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, God says, you will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out from the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And so when the Israelites heard God call them this, my, my servant whom I have chosen, my, my friend, Abraham, Jacob, their, their spirits would have been lifted and strengthened within them as they remembered the love that God has for them. Consider Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, God loves Israel. But what does that have to do with me? Brothers and sisters, it has everything to do with you and with me. Do you not know that if you have put your faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternal life and thus been made holy by his precious blood and given right standing before God the Father that you are a child of Abraham? You can't tell me that if 
you grew up in church, or at least if you, you attended children's ministry when you were a kid, that you did not know this. Forgive me, I'm about to sing. Hey, why don't you sing with me once you recognize the song? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. We'll stop there. No dancing. We're Baptists. So, forgive me for that. (laughs) So, but don't take my word for it. Don't take a nursery rhymes word for it. Take the word of God for it. In Galatians 3 verse 7, Paul says, understand then that those who have faith are sons of Abraham. We are children of Abraham if we have believed in the name of Jesus Christ unto salvation, and and thus so should our spirits be lifted and strengthened when we see this just as the Israelites were. And he says to you, child of Abraham, I took you from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners. You are my servants. I have chosen you and not cast you off. It's not enough that he took you, that he called you from the farthest corners of the earth, that that he chose you, but even greater still, hear this, even greater still, he does not cast you off. He does not cast cast you off. That reminds me, my, my favorite, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Romans 8, 38 through 39, Paul says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He does not cast you off. You are his. He chose you, not because of anything that you have done, not because of how good or worthy you have lived this life, not because of any great potential within yourself to do mighty works or to do great things. God chose you, not because of any of that, but out of his grace and his love despite yourself. God loves you despite yourself. And he keeps you despite yourself, even though we are still wretched, unruly, and unlovable most of the time. God does not let us go. He does not cast us off. He doesn't reject us. He keeps us. He holds us close to himself. There is nothing that we can do to escape the love of the Father. Nothing can separate us from His love. Do you understand that this morning? Do you realize how good of news that is, that that is, that there is nothing that you can do if you are in Christ Jesus to separate yourself from the love of the Father? Not because of anything that you have done or could do, but because of His love and His grace towards you. And then we get to verse 10. So that was all just the, that was the intro. This is the meat of the text. So verse 10, God says, 
fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not. Why? Because I am with you. I have not left you. I will not leave you. You may feel alone. You may feel like you have to take care of this particular situation all by yourself, whatever the the calamity may be. You're scared. You're you're frightened. You're worried what may be because because nobody here is, is going to help you. And God says, that's not true. Fear not, for I am with you. I will always be with you. The worst thing that could happen to us is not that we lose our jobs or lose our house or or lose the family land or get thrown in jail or even get persecuted unto the point of death for our faith. None of that is the worst thing that could happen to us. The worst thing that could ever happen to us is we lose the presence of God. That the Spirit of the Lord no longer resides within us. So long as God be by our side, there is nothing, no trial, no tragedy, no calamity, no enemy that we cannot face without complete confidence. So the first and sweetest reason why we should not fear is because God is with us. David in Psalm 139 says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the seas, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Brothers and sisters, do you realize how amazing it is that at one point you were an enemy of God? Do you realize how amazing it is that at one point you were God's enemy and you were unable to go into his presence for fear of judgment, for fear of what might happen if you, a sinner, were to walk into such a holy place? But now, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have been washed by his blood, your sins have been forgiven. You have been made in right standing before the Father. You have no fear of going into the presence of God, and and you don't need to fear it because the reality is you don't have to enter into the presence of God because the presence of God is with you wherever you go forever and always. Do you see how amazing that is? So we don't fear because God is with us, and then neither. He says, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you see the comparison that God makes between the the gods of the nations and himself? The the gods of the nations are are made by their hands, and they, they stand They're they're stood up on shelves and they're worshipped there where they have to be nailed down just so that they won't topple over. Meanwhile, God says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
while idols depend on our strength and on our craft so that they can stand and so that they can have themselves some semblance of strength, God depends on us for nothing. Even the greatest act of love that God ever did for us in sending his son to die on the cross for our sins, God does not depend on that for anything. The only thing that we brought to the table in that situation was our own sin. Charles Spurgeon does a wonderful job of putting Jesus' sacrifice in perspective of verse 10. So listen to what he says. He says, Let us hear the Lord Jesus speak to each one of us. I will help you. It is but a small thing for me, your God, to help you. Consider what I have done already. What not help you? Why, I bought you with my blood. What, not help you? I have died for you. And if I have done the greater, will I not do the less? Help you? It is the least thing I will ever do for you. I have done more and will do more before you. Before you. And before the world began, I chose you. I made the covenant for you. I laid aside my glory and became a man for you. I gave up my life for you, and if I did all of this, I will surely help you now. In helping you, I am giving you what I bought for you already. If you had need of a thousand times as much, I would give it to you. You require little compared to what I am ready to give. And then I love this. Write this down. Tis much for you to need, but it is nothing for me to bestow. Tis much for you to need, but it is nothing for me to bestow. Help you, he goes on, fear not. If there were an ant at the door of your granary asking for help, it would not ruin you to give him a handful of wheat. And so you are nothing but a tiny insect at the door of my all-sufficiency. I will help you. There has never been, nor will there ever be, a moment in your life where God was not ready and able to help you. Even down to your own salvation. So let me finish with this. If you have not put your faith in the name of Jesus Christ, do not think that God is waiting on you to get your life together. Do not think that God is waiting for you to meet him halfway. God has already done everything necessary for you to be saved. You just believe. You just come to the table. He has already prepared it for you. He says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You just come. But, you say, How can I make such a life-altering decision? What will it mean for me or for my family? What will others say of me? Will they call me a hypocrite? Will they judge me? To that, God says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
And then if, if you have put your faith in Christ, that you, you, you've grown up in the church, you know that you are His. But right now there is, there's something going on in your life, some trial, some challenge, some enemy that you're facing, and you, you don't know what you're what you're going to do. You don't know if you're going to make it. And so you say, I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here, God. How can I handle this situation to you? God says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Will you pray with me? Father, God, we come before you in great need of a Savior. We are but lowly worms. We cannot stand against this mighty enemy on our own. We stand no chance. God, we need you. Will you strengthen us? Will you help us? Will you hold us up by your righteous right hand? God, I pray for those that are here this morning that if they have not put their faith in you, then they do not know you and they do not know what it means to be strengthened and helped and upheld by the Lord. And they don't know what this courage is in the midst of doom, God, to not have to fear but to, to be brave knowing that you are their God, God, if they don't know that, Lord, I pray that you would put in them the faith they need to know that you are God. Lord, I pray for all of these here this morning as we leave. God, may we hold this text tight to our heart. May we remember it. May we say it to ourselves daily as we pray. May we recall what good you have done for us and what good you have promised to continue doing for us the remainder of our days. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So for our benediction this morning, we'll do something a little bit different. Remember, I asked you to try to memorize verse 10. So verse, for, for our benediction, if you will stand, go ahead and stand. If you want to cheat and look at your Bible, feel free, but Isaiah 41.10, if you didn't catch that already. But we're going to say this text together. So if you're ready, fear not, for I am your God. Be not dismayed, for I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You're dismissed.